Hello, and welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings toward our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was a bear there, all black and brown and covered in hair. Hi, I am Chicky. I am at the Chikrin on Twitter, and today I'm joined by Clotho. Hi, I'm Clotho, and you can find me at Clotho Spindle on Twitter. And Devin. Hey, this is Devin, GD Harpo on Twitter. And today we are covering John's second chapter of A Storm of Swords. And oh, kids, is this a meaty chapter? So many, so many things are happening in this chapter. It is, it is jam packed. So I guess we might as well just. Just start diving in. Oh, I'm sorry. You said meaty, and I was just thinking about John throughout this chapter, how he just has a constant boner. Thinking about <laughs> I know. He's like, clear- stop oh, clearly just like unintentionally attracted to a grit is the best way to describe oh, it. Goodness. Inconvenient attraction for John. He doesn't want it to be happening, but it clearly is. It is woven throughout the chapter. Um, <laughs> so we start off uh, there. He's he's riding with the free folk, um, the entire, you know, massive amount of them. And we get a bunch of exposition right off the bat about giants. John is watching the giants <laughs> ride past two by two on their mammoths. And um, George is very clear here. He doesn't want anyone to think that these are like human like really very human giants they're they're clearly meant to be something else like hairy like bears and like they have really long arms and eyes like rats which is just really nice and yet they're clearly like completely intelligent beings just he wants everyone to to be very sure that they're not human but don't we hear about them like crossbreeding with humans how does that work (sighs) jordan's genetics i guess I, I cannot figure this out because it's still the same thing whenever I think about Hagrid. Like, how the fuck did that happen? I just don't, I just, I just don't understand yeah. how it works at all. Same here, I think. Um, so as as John is watching and wondering about the giants, because, you know, obviously this is stuff out of fairy tales for him. He's just heard about them all his lives. Life is like, you know, creatures of the past or something. Um, he then gets a bunch of uh, exposition and backstory from Tormund, who, of course, is colorful as can be. And Tormund, who has about 50 nicknames, um, Tormund Giantsbane is definitely the most prominent of those nicknames, I would say. And we see why here, because first we see Tormund speaking um, giant to Mag. I mean, I don't know. That's what we call the language, right? Giant? Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then... And then we get some of Tormund's crazy backstory where he supposedly, during a cold winter, climbed into the stomach of a giantess. And then in the spring, she thought he was her baby and she nursed him, which is just, I mean, there's clearly a very tall tale element, element to all everything that Tormund says about himself. But this is this is up there. It's also But I, I think climbing into the stomach, I think we've hit on something is how... You crossbreed with humans and giants. You like, I mean, do you crawl? In the- I, <laughs> I don't know. I'm surprised George didn't try to write that. He likes writing. Oh, I'm certain sexy. he did, but I, but I have to think at the that editors point, took it out. his editors were like, "Wait, no, 
Absolutely not. <laughs> there is a line, George, and you've crossed it. <laughs> and then, of course, we get his story about being a husband to bears, which is uh, the foundation of the theory that he might be the father of um, some of the Mormon girls, um, oh. which I don't I don't know how true that could possibly be. He supposedly um, had sex with a bear. I don't know any other way to say it. That's what he says happened. Um I mean, I think we all doubt that that's true, but, you know, that's his version. Um, We find out that he has some of his kids with him in this um, little band that John has kind of been thrown into. And, of course, um, ever present in this band with John is Egret, who is just at his side nonstop. She's trying to sleep by him at night and... (laughs) She is just ever, ever there. And like on one hand, like you get the impression that John is slightly annoyed, but is he annoyed because he's attracted to her? Um, yes. <laughs> yes, that is yes. why. I'm like, and and everybody yeah. knows. Yeah. <laughs> like the entire, like prop the Giants probably even know, like, dude, she's trying to like. <laughs> yeah, well, Torment Torment is giving John shit because everybody knows that yeah. John hasn't slept with her, and yet she clearly wants that to happen. Um, and Tormund says, why'd you steal her if you didn't want to sleep with her? Because they, they of course, see John um, taking Ygritte captive as their um, horrible uh, marriage or coupling uh, custom of men kidnapping women, um, you know, which no one is endorsing, obviously. But that's that's what they think happened, and they don't understand why John isn't following through, especially when Ygritte is, is clearly down (laughs) yeah and they mentioned like they you know they're like she's a great beauty to us you know her red hair is like revered and you know they're like why the hell are you you know turning her down i had forgotten that that's what the source of the kiss by fire was it's not just Mm -hmm. that luck it's that they consider it to be like greatly beautiful to be a redhead which is definitely a different take than 99 percent of uh the rest of humanity but um yeah but like he has he has ghosts sleeping in between them so nothing will happen <laughs> yeah he like remembers like these tales that old nan told him about like nightly or knights and ladies courting and like putting swords between them in bed so that they wouldn't be tempted and he uses he uses ghosts as his sword that's so funny um yeah we see through you john we see right through you so uh, during this time, also, we're getting a bunch of exposition about the free folk. And I mean, just tons like, you know, you're hearing about everybody who who is who is along. We already know, like Rattleshirt, there's stuff about um, Harma Dogshead and um, Steer um, of the Fens. Um, and no one sounds like an, a particularly, um, you know warm and fuzzy person it's clear that john likes torment by far the most of everyone maybe besides egret um probably for good reason i mean harma dog's head she can just get fucked uh, every time i accidentally reread this and remember how horrible it is that she's killing dogs every couple weeks and putting their heads on spears as her oh, yeah. i must have deleted this from my memory because yeah, when i read I that i was like what either. the fuck like i had no clue and like and i know i've read this i don't know how many times and i have no recollection of that whatsoever well i never remember it until i hit it and then i remember oh yeah this one and i'm i'm mad all over again i just get mad every time and then erase it from my memory um yeah because usually books like it seems like books and tv shows nine times out of ten it'll be the cat that's the victim of the hate 
So it is odd to see, like, it's kind of, you know, just because it's horrible either way, you know, either side, dogs or cats, but it's jarring because you're so, I'm so, I hate it, but I'm so used to seeing it aimed at cats, you know, something well, yeah, but cat dies. The other thing is yeah. dogs are so useful, especially right. to, you think, people living the way that most of the free folk live, that it's just odd that someone would have right. this attitude. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, but probably the most interesting of the people is um, we get a view of Veramir, who is Veramir Sixkins, who's running around on a polar bear um, and has several other animals that he can warg as well. Um, probably the most prominent of those is a, a shadow cat um, that has both the bear and the shadow cat have ghost on edge. Understandably, I would imagine. I mean, anybody riding around on a polar bear, that would probably freak me out, too. I mean, the whole thing just sounds like so chaotic that at any given time, like, there could be a fight between this group or these animals or, the, you know, there's all kinds of shit going on here. Like, it just seems amazing that they everyone manages to kind of yeah this big camp and make it work <laughs> yeah that's a big part of the exposition yeah. is just how mance has pulled together this like very that. disparate group of people who have all been like enemies of one another for clearly millennia probably and he has somehow convinced them all to band together and you know part of part of john taking an assessment of this is realizing how uh potent Serious. a threat these guys are to not just the night's watch but everyone south of the wall because he's like these guys could actually do major damage um you know along with being kind of impressed by things like the giants um so uh as this all goes along suddenly grit starts singing a song about the last of the giants um and how you know like the giants were basically clearly hunted to extinction below uh, the wall and um, how there are very few left and you know she's she's singing and getting very sad and John's like but there are tons of them look at them right there and, and Igret throws out one of her Jon Snow you know nothings of course um, and in the middle of this sad song about the giants um, John gets attacked by an eagle uh, that just literally takes on his face um, so the eagle is Orel who we know is stuck you know like basically his human body died, but part of him is alive in the eagle. So I'm assuming that it's because Mance is mad at John that Aurel feels like it's okay to attack him at this point. Is that the assumption we're supposed to make? Yes, that's what that's what I kind of felt as well. Like, cause that cause that when I was reading, I was like, wait, why is the eagle? I know the eagle does this, but why? And then that uh, you know, it does seem like, well, Mance is mad because John. We find out he lied, and so I think like I kind of followed that same logic. Yeah, I think it must be that because. Egret kind of fights the eagle off of John and John's bleeding all over. It sounds like his face is fucking shredded. Um, and suddenly Rattleshirt shows up taking, saying that he's taking John to Mance, um, which he does really quickly. And Tormund, Tormund's like, the minute the Tormund hears that it's Mance who wants John, he just hands him over, even though he was not happy about Aurel attacking John. Um, so Rattleshirt takes John to Mance and, and John realizes where they are as Rattleshirt is leading him to the front of the column. And he sees that they're at the fist of the first men and he knows what's up and there are dead horses everywhere and they get dragged. Up, he gets dragged up to the top and a very pissed off Mance and a bunch of other people are, are there inside what is clearly Lord Commander Mormon's tent. And Mance is like, okay, you did not tell me the truth about uh, <laughs> your little night's watch band here. Um, and so John has this kind of crisis of conscience again, where he's like, you know, he doesn't he doesn't want to tell the truth and, and betray his brothers, but he's got these orders um, from Corrin Halfhand that he is supposed to um, do everything that it takes to infiltrate Mance's forces. Um, I 
so he he admits that there were like 300 of them and they say who was leading and he doesn't want to say it, but he finally says that it was Mormont. Um, I find it so hard to believe that, that Mance really could not have known that Mormont was, was beyond the wall considering his, his information network. Did he know? And he was just waiting to catch John in it. I don't know. It's interesting. It does feel like he was trying to catch John in a lie. Maybe it. I don't know. So um, John, John finally, you know, is doing everything he can to to stay alive. And 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 considering this, his vow to Corin is the most, you know, the highest order that he can he can follow. And so he's he's giving information, but it's clearly not quite enough. And so Igrit says clearly, you know, she knows what it will mean if she says it. She says that she and John are lovers, um, which is a, a way of saying, no, he's he's loyal to us now. Like, you know, she's like, you can't be mad at him for not wanting, you know, not wanting to get his friends killed. But, you know, he's loyal to us. We're sleeping together. Um, it's amazing to me how well this works, that they consider that to be a sign that he's Enough, right? he's I mean, like immediately. Yeah, it works immediately. Um, because Mance I mean, is still yeah. pissed. But yeah, I don't think him being like celibate matters or not, because they've all you know say they go to mole town and stuff so i don't know if that would you know i was thinking oh maybe they think oh he's finally giving up his vows but i mean i don't think that matters yeah so it's it maybe because egret's vouching for him i don't know it might be partly just that might just be that that she's like saying no he's he's definitely one of us i don't know or that so because it's like it's made clear that the whole camp knows or, or like a lot of people know that she's been trying and he won't do it. And so maybe they were looking at that as maybe um, that's still him holding on to the last bit of whatever vows. Oh, uh, I see. Oh, okay. And that's now true. that he's done this, he's truly okay. stepped away from the Night's Watch. That's true. That that's might be. Yeah. yeah. They got to that know that part of him that he was uptight about that. <laughs> yeah. I, well, everybody clearly knew he was uptight about it. <laughs> was very puritanical about it for sure <laughs> so man says that he's sending Igret and john uh, to the wall he's clearly you know angry with them so they're gonna they're gonna be pushed to the front um and but he lets them go clearly john has done enough uh to stay in man's semi-good graces and as they're as they're headed back to the the band that they ride with to <laughs> Igret's like okay yeah but you know because john john wants to know why she you know said what she said and she she says, well, I didn't say when we started sleeping together, so we're going to start now. <laughs> She's like, you need to send She's Ghost like, away. Let's strike while the happened. iron is hot. I mean, that was smart. Yeah. Her. I would love to have this chapter from her perspective or just yeah. the meeting with Mance from her perspective, just to see how she goes through in her mind. Oh, well, if I say and I do this, then he's going to have to. Yeah, that would be really yeah. cool. She would be a really cool, would have been a cool point of view. Yes. Um, it's sad that the only free folk we get is a terrible person. Yeah, um, that's true. Because, yeah, it would have been interesting. And well, and I love how she saves him twice here. Yeah. I mean, you know, she saves him from morale and then, you know, she saves him again this way. Um, she really likes him. And God knows why. <laughs> Other than that, he's clearly somewhat pretty. I don't know why. He's not even that pretty by by like the standards of Winterfell, though. Maybe he's just exotic. I don't know. Um Anyway, do we have any mail for this chapter? Yes, we do. Um, so for these two pieces of mail, um, there is a trigger warning for um, rape. Um, so 
Green Mountain Woman and Cardinal Girl 75, um, Green Mountain Woman from Reddit, Cardinal Girl 75 from Discord, they both had the same question, so I'll just read one, one of them. Um, I've heard it argued that Egret basically raped John. That wasn't how I read it. Certainly, he couldn't safely refuse, but that was his mission, to find out everything he could about the wildlings by becoming one of them. What do you think? And that was from Green Mountain Woman. Cardinal Girl 75 had the same question with the same um, explanation. Yeah, I didn't I didn't view it as that. I, I think he wanted to. He's just... I don't, so, I mean, I don't know how people quantify that if you say, well, it seems like he wanted to. He wanted to be with her, and he just... I don't know. I think he needed something to push him over the edge because he was too too stuck in his vow. But I don't think he didn't want to. So, I don't know. That, for me, would be the deciding line, that he would consent. I mean, I think there's kind of definitionally some, some coercion here, but at the same time, this is this is certainly a choice that John is making. I mean... You could say he was backed in a corner, which is true, but I mean, it, George is making it clear throughout the chapter that he very much wants to sleep with Egret. Um, yes. So I, I, I mean, I come back to what I often come back to with this garbage, where something uh, to do with consent is not well written. I don't think George intends this to be rape by any stretch. Um, I would say um, this is probably not a way, a good way to get people to sleep with you, and you should not do this in real life. <laughs> this is not- yes, yeah, yeah, yes, that's a good I agree. Way. Because- <laughs> it's a good way to put it, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it is clear as throughout the chapter like that he doesn't not want to. He's just trying to hold on to those vows any way he can. Because I do, and I do think, because he even t- says it to Tormund, um, the part about not wanting to father a bastard and all that. Like, I think that's what's really at the heart of it. And I don't he even think it has. I don't, so yeah, I don't think it has much to do with his, yeah. um, with his vows. I think it's more so that piece of it. Uh, um, I agree. And yeah. so, yeah, I think that's more so where it comes from. the fact that he's thinking about it and that you see he, he talked about how, like, even though right off he didn't think she was, he started to notice more, like, to him, she was getting more attractive. It seemed, so I feel like he's falling for her. And that he had considered, oh, if I have a, a child with, I mean, you don't just think about somebody you're not interested in. So I feel like he, he was in the process. I oh, yeah, no, he's he's clearly it. he's clearly very interested in her sexually. And I mean, this has been a long term thing with John where he just doesn't want to father bastards like that. Right. That is something that we have known for a long time. It's such a big deal for him that even Rob has picked it up. Um, you know, it's just it's just a very serious line for him. Um, always has been. So I, I I I agree with I completely agree with Devin that that's really the heart of his his reluctance. I mean, I'm sure the vows would matter to an extent, but as 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 has been covered many times, the Night's Watch just make a vow to father no children and not to get married. Right, that there right. there doesn't seem to be a moratorium on sex itself. Solid, yeah. Yeah, and it seems, I mean, I mean, obviously, sex education is lacking in all of the seven kingdoms. Yeah. Because just because you have sex does not mean you're going to have a baby. And like, that's yeah. where they always take. And they're like, oh, well, she'll go get some moon tea. You don't even have to get to that point. I mean, <laughs> no. It just, yeah. Um, so our next uh, piece of mail from Buck O'Hare on Discord uh, how does how does John Grit Joe Grit? <laughs> I've never seen it written like that. How does Joe Grit rank on your favorite ships? I like it. <laughs> it's just kind of a thing that exists for me. I, I it's it's not really my kind of ship, I guess. So I I'm not really super into it, but I, like I'm fine with it. I don't have any problem with it. And I definitely think 
I know there's a weird thing in fandom to kind of downplay it, but I think it's a very important romance to John. I mean, like, do I think that Igret is maybe his true love in a lasting way? Maybe no, but it's definitely, he's definitely into her and not just because she's there and he finds her kind of mm. hot. I mean, yeah. there's, there's clearly, there's clearly a connection there because she, she really gets in his head in a way that stays that lasts. Yeah, I, I really like it. And there's there's one point in the chapter where John is even thinking about the way she smiles and like will sit yeah. when it's like particularly cold and she's like hugging her knees and like he's like that stirred some things as well. <laughs> um, yeah, which is the kind of thing you notice when you're really into somebody. When you're really yes, and so that's why I really like it. Yeah. All right, and so that was our last that's piece last of metal one. for the ch- um, on the chapter specific. Um, I do have another piece of mail from a stranger giving the strange welcome on Tumblr. Um, And this one's pretty long, so bear with me here. Um, Hi, ladies and gent. I will admit that I will admit this act doesn't have much to do with A Song of Ice and Fire, but I finally got around to reading one of um, GRM's older novels. And after staying up literally all night to finish it, I'm dying to recommend Fever Dream to literally everyone I know. It's so good, and it was so very excellent to experience George as a writer again when chapter one included a big description of food, I might have cried. <laughs> George, <laughs> George describes it as a mix between Mark Twain and Bram Stoker. Here's the description. Abner Marsh, a struggling riverboat captain, suspects that something's amiss, something's amiss when he is approached by a wealthy aristocrat with a lucrative offer. The hauntingly pale, steely-eyed Joshua York doesn't care that the icy winter of 1857 has wiped out all but one of Marsh's dilapidated fleet, nor does he care that he won't earn back his investment in a decade. York's reason for traversing the powerful Mississippi are to be none of Marsh's concern, no matter how bizarre, arbitrary, or capricious York's actions may prove. Not until the maiden voyage of Fever Dream does Marsh realize that he has joined a mission both more sinister and perhaps more noble than his most fantastic nightmare and humankind's most impossible dream. Abner Marsh has many Davos White qualities, and the story itself is just so good. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to see George write a tight and suspense-filled, complete story. If I had the money to sponsor an episode of this podcast, this is what I'd do it on. You can see a lot of proto A Song of Ice and Fire elements in Fever Dream, which is cool, but it's so, so excellent just as its own story. And I mean, come on, George. I mean, come on. George wrote a vampire novel. Who wouldn't want to check it out? My only warning is please consider how much George needs a sensitivity reader already. Then imagine him being in the 1980s writing a vampire novel set in the antebellum South. Oh, Oh, goodness. (laughs) in spite of that i cannot uh recommend it highly enough and seems like no one reads his early stuff it has exactly seven fix on ao3 and i'm losing my mind (laughs) it needs a larger fandom if you like george's writing please consider giving it a read the audiobook reader is excellent by the way you know i read that years ago i was the only other thing of his that i read that's the only thing I read. I remember I finished it, which is always a good sign. I really don't remember much about it. I wasn't a huge, a huge vampire novel person, so that may be why. Uh, but that's a pretty good recommendation, yeah. I would say. Yeah, it made me want to read it, and I enjoy vampires, so I think I might actually look into reading that. 
Well, and I've heard other, I've heard people say this before that there's, you know, all of George's stories have like, you know, elements of a song of ice and fire in them, which might just be that thing that writers do where they kind of keep writing the same characters over and over. I don't know. It would be interesting. Yeah. Maybe it's kind of like how artists, if you have like a long, you know, you could sort of see elements of a series of either drawings and paintings that kind of, repeat themselves like not like refreshed mm-hmm. and renewed but yeah that you, you kind of mo- motifs out. yeah yeah motifs that repeat yeah, yeah. yeah. something has to get out and- yeah that would be interesting i don't know i don't know if i could read it again i'm so turned off by vampires these days that oh it was i saw we watched the new um i really like when i was younger i liked the interview it's been almost 30 years since i read them but um the interview with the vampire but the new uh-huh. the new series i love the casting but they just made it a little too violent. Like, I like some of the storyline, but yeah, it's something about it, which sounds weird for a vampire, but something was too over the top. Like, I think lo- they lost some of the campy and some of the fun and that was part of it. Oh, but, yeah. I know. keep I keep almost getting sucked into that. I loved I loved interview with the vampire when Same. I was, like, I mean, the actors <laughs> middle are school. excellent. The actors are really good. And I that's know. what makes me want to watch it. Yeah. yeah. The, like, it's the just, casting. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the criticisms is, because I think he was one of my favorites before Lestat was kind of like and there's there's a lot of for me i feel like there's a lot of lestat has a lot of jamie-ish which is probably why jamie appealed to me like, <laughs> yeah. character wise they made him a little bit too evil like if that makes there's some scenes that i was like i can't see lestat doing this like he's horrible but i, I don't know how to you'd have to watch it god talk yeah. about a book i don't think i could read again though Jesus <laughs> Christ. i don't think i could possibly that read that as an adult. Got, yeah i i didn't like them as they went on i wasn't a fan of the later books the body thief i don't remember liking that yeah i think yeah. i read just the second one i don't even think i went past that yeah i got so mad at ann rice around the year 2000 that i just never touched any of her shit oh, again. Was her reason specific? just so everyone is aware she was incredibly anti-fanfic and oh like, i might have at least sued or threatened to sue oh, a fanfic writer yeah i don't i don't remember don't quote me i'm mad at her still though okay. we were mad at her we were mad at her 20 <laughs> odd years ago and i'm still mad at her Put it that's, that way. Yeah, that's not cool. That kind of stuff's not cool. No. Yeah. Well. No. <laughs> but if you have any other recommendations of that <laughs> or Martin work that you think is worth reading, we would love to hear it. Um, you can always write to us at close the door and at gmail.com. Um, our our asks are open on Tumblr and you can ask things anonymously at close the door and come here.tumblr.com. Um, you can always hit up Guile at our at our Twitter account. Um and I think, what is it? Close close the door? I think it's just close the door on Twitter. And, of course, we always love our patrons on Patreon who help us keep our post- hosting fees paid. And we appreciate that so much. You can find us at Patreon at Close the Door. Um, and I think <laughs> that's all that we have to say about this, um, as I started off very, very cleverly saying, meaty chapter of John's. <laughs> I will close the door. Get out.